Hey, everybody, thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Preacher Boys podcast. I make this show for you, and I hope that you really enjoy it. I have a lot of people that ask me how they can support the show financially, and you can do that by heading over to patreon.com slash preacherboys. You're going to get access to exclusive content, including early releases of episodes. I've got a couple episodes right now that have been released at least a month early over on Patreon. You've got access to things like unique merch, depending on what tier you join, and you get access to some behind-the-scenes content that I'm posting within the group. So head over to patreon.com slash preacherboys and become a member over there today. Every single supporter helps make this show a little bit more possible, especially as I continue to add additional episodes and content every single week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Let's get back to the show. Trigger warning. This podcast contains descriptions of various abusive situations. Listener discretion is advised. I had a man, I can't name names, and it's close to my heart. It's really devastated our lives, some of us. (laughs) <laughs> bad stuff, bad. You know, pastors with a wife and child shouldn't be sleeping with teenage girls in their own church. I went to him and I just said, I'm here. I'm here for availability. I'm here for accountability. I'm here. And that's all I said to the man. That was all the level of involvement that I needed. You are listening to the Preacher Boys Podcast, a podcast shedding light on decades of mental, physical, and sexual abuse within the independent fundamental Baptist movement. The testimonies shared on this podcast are told from the personal experience and perspective of the survivors. Not all legal outcomes are known or final. Any suspect is presumed innocent until proven guilty in the court of law. Now, here is your host, Eric Skwarzynski. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Preacher Boys podcast. On the show, I've covered a lot of horrible things within the independent fundamental Baptist movement, and that means I've covered a lot of really ridiculous and stupid and harmful things that have been said in pulpits in independent fundamental Baptist churches. And on today's episode, I'm going to be covering one of the worst sermons I've heard in a very long time. That's bad for a lot of reasons. One, it's not a very good speaker. There's a lot of issues just in the flow of it. If you're trying to take notes, good luck. Uh, But Also, the content of what's being said is really extremely harmful, and the pastor says multiple times, or the evangelist, rather, says multiple times that he hopes this soaks into the young listeners and the young pastors who are listening to this. And I have to say, I hope just the opposite, because what is told in this sermon is absolutely horrific. So I'm going to cut a lot of content out of this message. If you want to see the full thing in context, the link is in the description of this video or available Uh, over on the Walters Grove Baptist Church YouTube channel. Uh, Wherever you're watching this, you can find a way to check that out. So I'm not cutting things to omit context. I'm cutting things for the sake of runtime and to make sure the content is concise and hits the things that are actually relevant to the show because there's a lot of rabbit trails throughout the conversation. So the speaker here is Evangelist Dean McNeese, and he is an evangelist. And it is important to note, as you listen to this entire sermon that he is booked out through March of next year, according to his calendar on his website. So this man will be preaching in multiple churches across the country throughout the next year. And that alone is pretty alarming. So uh, we're going to go ahead and run through this. I uh, basically printed out a transcript of the sections I'm going to be covering and took some notes. Don't worry, I'm not going to 
talk too, too much because uh, a lot of it just speaks for itself. But I had to make a lot of commentary and notes on this. And frankly, I think you'll be as concerned as I am when you start listening. So the first part I'm going to cut out is the first 26 minutes when he arrives on the platform because he doesn't even crack open his Bible until 26 minutes in. So where we're going to start He gives the premise of the message. He says, I want to talk to you about relationship conflicts in the midst of church discipline and Christian integrity. So that's the topic. Good topic. Good thing to talk about. I talk about a lot of those things on this show. I want to talk to you about relationship conflicts in the midst of church discipline and Christian integrity. Don't you just want to love everybody? I mean, I really do. It's in me. Don't y'all just want to love everybody? I'm asking you. It's fine for you to talk back to me. That's in me. And I can be soft to a fault. One thing that I've never had a problem with And I have my own set of faults and failures. And But one thing I've never had a problem with is judging people, looking down on people. I just never had. So in the beginning of the service, he starts talking a little bit about confrontation and confronting people who are doing wrong things. Again, all things that I agree with. I'll play an example here. I told a man two weeks ago and ended up, I told him off. But he knows I love him, and we hugged later. I said, when are you and half these other guys in my generation going to realize there are some dangerous men amongst us? you got to quit falling on the side of an ecumenical embrace everything. Some men start out, and yeah, we're trying to help them, but then it ends up we're trying to help other people that they're destroying. And you're going to be such a baby that we've always got to help you. How about you moved into the arena of we have to help other people because of you? Now, the deal is how do you keep your heart right and how do you keep your head right in the midst? Who is a dangerous man and who is a developing man? Because, you know, one guy's just developing. Let's don't destroy him. But then the other guy's deceitful. I have to agree. There certainly are a lot of dangerous men among pastors, and uh, there's certainly agreement there. And again, this is another valid point from Dean. Who is a dangerous man and who is a developing man? I do think that's an important distinction. We should consider this. I think this is important in conversations I have when I talk about churches. There's people who say all pastors are bad or all people are this or all Christians are this. Um and this happens on both sides. People say all atheists are that, you know, anytime we categorize an entire group as being awful or beyond saving, that's an issue. Um, and I do think it's important to distinct, to make a distinction between this person is truly a horrible, corrupt, dangerous person, or this person is misguided in doing something that's wrong. So I do agree with that point. There's one point on the board there. We'll talk to you about relationship conflicts in church discipline and Christian integrity. Matthew 5, 
So now we're going to fast forward a little bit in the sermon to the relevant portion I want to talk about, because on the show, I talk about um, sexual abuse among clergy. I talk about um, pastors who commit horrific acts against their congregation, things like that. And so here's a clip where he talks about uh, one of his first points. I think this is the second point in the context of the sermon. And he talks about, quote unquote, fornication or adultery. So we're going to go ahead and play that clip. So far, we got to go to a brother and get right because we've done him wrong. Second of all, brother did us wrong. You've seen how to go get that right. Now, what are we dealing with here? 1 Corinthians 5. It is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and some bad stuff. And verse 2, you're puffed up and have not rather mourned. And isn't it amazing that they're uh, rallying the wagons. They're surrounding this fornicator and they're protecting him. Isn't that crazy? That's the nature of people, even in the Corinthian church, even in church. Let's all be mad at the preacher who tried to deal with this and let's get like mama buffaloes and let's all protect this fornicator. I think it's interesting to use the language of rallying the wagons, circling the wagons, because, um, and then he says it's the nature of people, even in the church. And he places this example really on the church congregation versus the pastors. And as I've seen through the show, and I'm sure many who've followed the stories I've talked about on the show could identify, a lot of times it's pastors circling the wagon and the congregation isn't aware of some of these situations. Uh, But I'm going to go ahead and keep playing through the clip there and uh, let you hear for yourself. Deacon Spencer, I need to point out something here. It's underlined reported commonly. Did y'all know there's a difference in malicious rumor-mongering, and responsible reporting. Do you know that there's a difference between malicious rumor-mongering and responsible reporting? Again, I would agree with this, and by itself, isolated from context, he's right about this statement. But when you start hearing the context of what he means when he says reporting, it's very different than what I would indicate when I'm saying reporting. Did you know there's a difference in malicious rumor-mongering and responsible reporting. You go to prison, I guess, in all 50 states for not reporting a child being abused, sexual abuse. You go to prison for not reporting it. If they was enforced the law, the laws are there. There is one unfortunate thing I have to say here is that clergy are not mandated reporters in 33 states um, in the United States, which is a very disturbing statistic. I'm very interested to see how that could be changed. Um, But regardless of the legal side of it, the moral side of it would say, if you know a child's being abused, you need to report it to law enforcement. I find it interesting that people that live in sin and the people that rally around them, they want to think that the worst sin of the day is gossip. And they accuse all of us of gossip. Well, brother, y'all are just gospel. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll run in your mouth. Okay, well, we're going to let you talk to Paul. Call him a gossip. Not only did he tell it, he wrote it in a letter. We're reading about this matter 2,000 years later on the other side of the earth. Is he a gossip monger? Is he a rumor spreader? 
No, it's commonly reported by responsible people who know that this thing's really bad and it's really hurting everything. You be careful don't fall in line with a bunch of little rebels and smart mouths all over social media and all over the average congregation. Well, I tell y'all what, if y'all had to quit running your mouth, you know what the old man of God told me? Dealing with a situation. And he told the feller and I was there when he told him, he said, son, if you'd tell your sin, we would all be spared from having to. He said, if you'd tell your sin, nobody else would tell it. But when you won't tell it, we all have to. And nobody talked about the prodigal son no more when he came home and told what he did. This next section is one that I had a really hard time with. He says, but when you won't tell it, we have to. I agree. He says, but nobody talks about the prodigal son no more. When he came home and told him what he did, nobody ever again, you know, we forgave him. We, you know, we don't keep talking about it. We don't keep talking about it. That's not true. <laughs> if you hear the story of the prodigal son, it lists out exactly a lot of the things that he was doing um, when he was leaving home and, and all of the quote unquote sins that he committed. The Bible's very clear. It documents his sin. It does not cover it up because he asked for forgiveness. That's a very important distinction, and it's one that's not made in this sermon. Nobody, never again. We've all shouted. We've, we didn't even know the cat, and we forgave him. Me and you don't even know him, and we've shouted ever since we've been around old-fashioned preaching. We dropped the pail, jumped the rail, run down the trail. What is all, you know, they've been more celebrated. We didn't even know that fella, and we've all celebrated. If you confess your sins, we won't have to. Quit blaming that on responsible people that have to guard precious things. We have to guard the church. We have to guard the children. We have to guard the pulpit. And you're doing that to us by make, putting that mess on all of us. And then you get your 100,000 hit like button followers on Facebook because they're all living in the same sin. And to all them, the worst sin is that they're accusing us of gossip. And if you tell it, okay, you're a gossiper. Boy, you just need to go pray for people. You think you're better than everybody. If you don't tell it, oh, I can't believe that, brother. That thing went on and raped seven others and molested four others. And how did he get that church? Why didn't y'all tell us? Okay, I'm just talking to you in the scriptures of how we're going to have to deal with things. This was an interesting section to me because he says, uh, if you don't tell what happened, People go online on social media, which pastors love talking about social media. He says, oh, I can't believe that. This this guy went on and raped seven others, molested four others. How did he get in that church? Blah, 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 blah. Who's saying this? I've never heard of somebody accusing a pastor of gossiping for, uh, for talking about there being an abuse case in his church. The very few times it's happened, and there's not many times that it's happened in a very public setting, the community or the people who have been advocating for the victim are thrilled for any nugget of hope or any nugget of right doing on the part of the church. So this is a situation where I'm not sure who's saying, oh, you're a gossip if you call out sexual abuse. The only people that have done that to me are pastors in independent Baptist churches. Chapter six, 
Here's, here's preachers suing each other. Uh, well, brethren suing each other. I dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust, not before the saints? Do you not know the saints should judge the world? How, how are you unworthy to judge the smallest matters? Look in verse 4. Look in verse 5. I speak to you, shame. Is there not a wise man among you? But brother goeth to law with brother, and that before the unbelievers? Verse 7. Now therefore utter, there is utterly a fault among you because you go to law one with another. Why do you not ra- oh, why do you not rather take wrong? Why do you not rather suffer yourselves to be defrauded? Okay, here's another situation. Now they just dealt with bad, incestuous fornication. Put away that wicked person. Now here's another situation. Why are two brothers uh, taking each other, dealing with things in front of the world that should be dealt with at church? This gets brought up often. Why are we dealing with things in front of the world that should be dealt with in front of the church? This usually gets paired with, um, you know, it's affecting our testimony. It's damaging to the cause of Christ. I'm sure you've heard all these examples. I won't go on and on and on. Um, he does say, yes, thank God we have criminal courts and civil courts as legal matters, uh, but usually it needs to happen within the body of the church. And, you know, then he goes on to tell a very weird story. Now, thank God, Christians, we do have criminal courts and civil courts, and there are legal matters. Sometimes you got to go to court. This is talking about brothers fussing so bad it ought to be dealt with in the body. But nobody will take wrong. Nobody will be defrauded. No, no, everybody's full of pride. I got a phone call, and I'm not going to tell you no names. This happened years ago. <laughs> Came off my honeymoon. Pastor in a little church there in North Florida, Lottie. And come off my honeymoon. And my little light was blinking. Y'all remember answering machines that had the tiny cassette tape? <laughs> I hit that thing. I almost told you the name by accident. I got to be careful. This is one of the most biggest preachers in America. I told Jennifer, I said, baby, I've gotten married and God fixed a rocket ship. Woo, we're fixing to hit the bit. I bet he wants me for a youth meeting. I called him back and he's bringing me a lawsuit. You could have punched me in the gut. Number one is my hero. Number two, I didn't know he knew me. And number three, I, I wasn't going to become the latest, greatest star. <laughs> I still back in my childhood days. <laughs> this is Dean here. <laughs> he said, I'm calling to inform you that uh, we're bringing a lawsuit against you. I, I was speechless, stumped. I didn't know how to ask what was going on. I was like, uh, 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 uh. I was just a kid preacher. I'd never been around nothing. Uh, Okay, he was one of the most most famous, biggest ministry in the South. And uh, there was an older preacher that had lived next to him many years, and that older preacher had been telling that he was living in adultery. The man said to me that we've confronted him, and he said, it is you who told us that. And I'm again, oh, <laughs> I'm just funny. I said, I don't know you. I mean, I know you, but I don't know you. I ain't never said nothing about you except you're the most awesome preacher ever. What? I don't even, 
And I was so young, I barely knew what adultery was. That's the truth. I was a kid, friends. Like, oh. And he said, uh, it's out of my hands. He said, it's my board. And he was a pastor and other things. And he said, uh, they met together. He said, they're bringing a lot. I was like, well, I got a dog. <laughs> I got $211 in savings. I don't know. Y'all need it? You can have it? I, I don't even know what you're talking about. Well, let's get on a three-way line. I said, yeah, let's do that. They never done that. So what happened was an old preacher had been telling probably the truth. I'll leave that alone. And uh, they said, this is a multi-million dollar ministry and uh, we can't afford for the money to quit coming in. I'm going to stop right here because if someone is saying this, name them. It says, this, he says that this older pastor said, this is a multi-million dollar ministry and we can't afford for money to quit coming in. Now, I don't know because he doesn't name them. I don't know who he's talking about. Apparently, it's one of the largest ministries in the South. Um, but if they're saying a pastor was cheating on his wife, living a double life, going in front of the church and acting as if he wasn't, but the only reason they're not going to talk about it or inform the congregation who's giving 10% of their income to this organization is because they'll lose money, that's something worth naming. Is it something that's going to be handled legally? No, an affair is not illegal. Is it something that a congregation should be aware of before they continue putting 10% of their income into an offering plate every single week? Probably. That's probably something I need to, not probably, definitely need to be aware of. Anyway, I never heard anything else. I guess it got it all worked out. I, I even went to his meeting a few years later, and I think he maybe forgot. I think he sued it, a preacher a month. But anyway, he's like, there's old brother. Woo, glory. I was like, hey, woo, glory. We're not. We good, I guess. <laughs> and to this day, I guess he thinks we're buddies. Somebody may have got, I don't know, maybe he quit adultery or they quit telling. I don't know. <laughs> Folks, is there, not, is there not a wise man among us that's a real Christian? Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. And the close to the story, the finale to this huge story he tells and the fake tears and the laughter and the bizarre noises is maybe he quit adultery or they quit telling. I don't know. That's a little anticlimactic. That's a loose end there. And apparently this pastor is still in active ministry. So somewhere in the largest ministry in the South, there's a pastor who was committing adultery. Uh, he was cheating on his wife. He was backstabbing everybody in the congregation and still collecting, you know, multi-million dollar checks to the church. And this guy won't name him, even though earlier on in the in the message, he's talking about transparency and protecting pulpits, protecting people, calling out wrongdoing, you know, distancing yourself from from people that are doing wrong things. But he won't do that here in the course of the sermon and clearly didn't do it when this situation first happened. First Timothy five, verse 17. 
Now, need some of you older men. We got Deacon Spencer here and Brother Mustion and a couple of older evangelists, and we got some seasoned men and all the young men that are not that young. We trust you. But I got a little question for y'all right here. Is this how you deal with preachers that have gone into sin? I, I never used it that way until a couple of years ago, and I think it's that way. Watch this. Okay, y'all in 1 Timothy 5, look in verse 20. Them that sin rebuke before all, that others also may fear. Uh, I apologize, but I have always isolated that text from its context. It's in the middle of talking about dealing with elders. I really never had, I just, Brother Bailey, I always just quoted it by itself. But oh my goodness, scares me a little bit. Look in verse 17. Let the elders that rule well be counted worthy of double honor, especially they who labor in the hospitals and funerals, in the birthday parties and in the uh, runaround busy stuff. Huh? No, preachers, this is our calling, the word and doctrine. For the scripture saith, that's not most of the labor, the word of reward, against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. If you're going to have to deal with a pastor, an evangelist, a man of God, a man of God that is ruling in the ranks, he's in a position in the church or churches, you, you got to bring two or three witnesses. And then the next verse said, them that sin. I'm sorry, but I think that means them elders. And I'm sorry, I've just always isolated that. Like, them that sin, rebuke. I'm afraid it's talking about the preachers that sin. Am I right? Several heads are nodding. Because, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to prove it. I'm kind of asking, is that right? It seems right. Them elders that sin. Rebuke before all. Verse 22, lay hands suddenly on no man. You better be careful who you put in position. You won't have to be walking it back. Now, okay, this little section deserves its entire own lesson, and I'm not going to go there. I'll just say this. Oh, my soul, if you ever have to deal with your pastor, oh, my goodness. If you ever have to deal with a, a, a much-used evangelist that's in the circles, you better get together as the body of Christ. You better fast. You better pray. You better not lay your hand on me. You better not, not act stupid or sideways. God, I kill you before, even if the man's wrong. This is one of the most toxic things that gets taught in churches, and I can't believe it's here this is a threat to keep people silent. There's no other way to put it. He says, and I might play this clip a few times because you really need to understand what he's saying because he means this literally. You better fast. I'll, I'll go back a little bit further. If you ever have to deal with your pastor, if you ever have to deal with a much used evangelist in, that's in the circles, you better get to, you better get together as the body of Christ. You better fast. You better pray. You better not lay hands on him. You better not act stupid or sideways. 
God's going to kill you, even if the man was wrong. So if you come and approach the pastor for his sin, and you do it, quote unquote, the wrong way, God is going to literally kill you. David and Saul. David was supposed to be the king. Saul's trying to kill him. Saul was as wrong as he could be. David was as right as he could be. But David said, I'm not going to touch God's anointed. I'm going to let God do this in his own time. And I will tell you, okay, I shouldn't be. I mean, this is a whole nothing. Let me tell you something. If you ever have to deal with your preacher, you better do your best not to. But if it has to be done, mm-hmm. you get together as the entire church and you weep and you pray and you fast for more than two or three days. And you get other men of God and you go get His ordaining counsel and you go get His preachers. And you turn it over to His preachers. And if He ain't got preachers in His life, that might be a real big indicator. I want y'all to know if you ever have to deal with me, Clay McNeese is still alive, Randy Bell's still alive, Wayne Cofield's still alive, Dana Williams is still with us, Mike Bagwell's still with us. I got 40 men I've ordained. You can call them to come deal with me. There are men of God in my life, period. There are men of God in my life, period. I keep my pastors. I collect my pastors. I keep my men of God. You can go get Charles Mustion and 20 others like him and come to me with the body of Christ. That's how it's got to work. I had a man, I can't name names, and it's close to my heart. It's really... Devastated our lives, some of us. <laughs> bad stuff, bad. You know, pastors with a wife and child shouldn't be sleeping with teenage girls in their own church. Bad stuff. And I can't, and, and I won't tell you now or later. I'm done talking about it, but I'm just trying to put it before you. He says, I had a man. I can't name names. Why? Why can't you name names? He says, it's close to my heart. It really devastated our lives. You know, pastors with a wife and child shouldn't be sleeping with teenage girls in their own church and bad stuff. I won't tell you now or later. I'm done talking about it. I understand, you know, lawsuits. I understand disagreements. I understand, you know, these doctrinal disputes that happen in churches that needs to be dealt with in your own club. There's no legal things there, but to sit there and say, I was aware of somebody. I'm not going to tell you their name. They were having sex with a teenage girl in their church. They were a pastor. They had wife and kids and they were a predator. I'm not going to name their names. Earlier in the sermon, he's talking about responsible reporting. Is this not the time? Earlier in the sermon, he said, we need to protect children. Is this not the time? If this is not the time, when is it going to be? And again, the context of what he's saying here undoes any goodwill he's earned in the beginning of the sermon. When he got confronted by Nathan the prophet, there's an old man of God. I went to him and I just said, I'm here. I'm here. I'm I'm here for availability. I'm here for accountability. I'm here. And that's all I said to the man. 
That was only the level of involvement that I needed. But old man of God came to him and confronted him. And old man of God said to him, you need to get five old preachers and submit yourself to them. And he said, I don't know five godly preachers. And he thought he'd won his little argument. And the man of God said, that's your fault. That there's not five good preachers in your life. That's your fault. And again, when it goes down to saying the words reporting, here's what they mean. You need to get five old preachers and submit yourself to them. Get a little accountability. Get some more preacher boys around you. That'll keep you safe. That's not the solution. That's not what reporting looks like. If you want to go to the Bible, the Bible says the sword is given to the government. If you want to go to just common basic sense, the pastors are not the people that deal with this. It's law enforcement. It's specialists who can deal with a child who's been abused. But he wants to stand in a pulpit and say, this really hurt us bad. What about the victim? The victim is not mentioned anywhere in here, anywhere in the sermon. It's mentioned how it's going to hurt the church, how it's going to hurt the congregation, presumably how it's going to hurt the money that's coming into the church. I want y'all to know there's 250 good preachers in my life. (laughs) And I'm I'm accountable and submitted to every one of them. Yes, sir. Every one of them. I'm over some of them. I'm under some of them. I'm with some of them. But when it comes to days like this, I'm under every one of them. Brother Simpson and Brother Montgomery, I've been around them since they were little. Very close. And you know that if somebody had to come deal with me, if my heart and my head was right, I'd bow down and let Chris Simpson and Josh Montgomery church discipline me. I'd put, I'm under them. I've been over them, but I'm un, in the same breath I'm under them. Ain't none of us running this. This is the body of Christ. This is the Word of God. And then we get to restoration. But favorite buzzword in IFB circles, restoration. He gives an example of a pastor who did bad things. Again, in context, immediately after the sermon, I have to imagine it's something about sexual abuse of some sort. I could be wrong. But in context, he gives me no reason to think it's anything other than that. Don't leave out restoration. That elder you rebuked before all, did he go hang himself? We can't do nothing about that. Did he go crazy and become some crazy preacher? We can't do nothing about that. But what if he come back in the side door and told everybody, I'm sorry. I'm trying to hush y'all, but I ain't trying too hard. I knew a man, an elder, sin bad. Well, he spent the last many years bitterness and blame. He's the victim. Everybody else is the problem. And I knew another man, and I was there. He walked in the side door of a Monday morning preacher's fellowship and walked right over and said, my brothers, 
my fellow pastors, I have sinned. I am sorry. I'm not going to try to pastor again, but I want to be right with God. And he fell on the altar. <laughs> you want to know what 70 men did? Every one of them ran to the altar and laid on him and prayed with him. And, I ain't, and I'm telling you, I ain't never heard another man say an ugly word about him. And what he did was horrible for a long time. <laughs> I got news. If you'll confess them, he'll forgive them. If you cover it up, you won't prosper. If you uncover it, he won't let nobody else talk about it. Let's don't leave out restoration. Again, giving the context that he gave, this is presumably a predator. And we're assuming because he's coming in the side door and he's confessing that he's good to go. Well, this is an area where law enforcement and specialists, while not infallible, are helpful because even Experts and specialists can be seduced by people who are abusers. Pastors are not qualified to identify whether or not someone has gone through a real change, whether a predator is legitimately reformed. Even specialists who work with this day in and day out struggle with this. I have a copy of the book Predators. I was flipping through it as I was listening to the sermon, um, and it's a, it's a really powerful, very, very... I mean, huge trigger warning on the book itself, but it's important to understand how much we don't understand about these cases. And I want to read to you this excerpt from page 25 of Predators and apply it to a situation of a pastor being, you know, uh, that we perceive as repentant. And look at this story, look at the characters involved, and tell me if you think that these people should have identified the red flags. So Anna Salter writes, recently I interviewed a psychopath. This is always a humbling experience because it teaches me over and over again how much of human motivation and experience is outside my narrow range. Now, it's important to note that Anna C. Salter has a PhD in clinical psychology from Harvard and was on the faculty of Dartmouth Medical Center for five years, where she served as the director of a number of programs in the Department of Maternal and Child Health. So this is someone who's an expert of experts, and she says, this is outside my narrow range. Despite the psychopath's lack of conscience and lack of empathy for others, he's inevitably better at fooling people than any other type of offender. I suppose a conscience just slows people down. A convicted child molester, this particular one, made friends with a correctional officer who invited him to live in his home after he was released, despite the fact that the officer had a nine-year-old daughter. The officer and his wife were so taken with the offender that after the offender lived with them for a few months, they initiated adoption proceedings, adoption for a man almost their age. He was a child molester living in the same house as a child. Not surprisingly, he molested the daughter the entire time he lived there. Later, when this was disclosed and the offender was reincarcerated, the guard and his wife continued to try to visit him in prison. They wanted to understand how he could do this. They wanted to see him. They were attached to him. Even the offender was astonished by their behavior. He told his psychologist, quote, I feel like saying, what the fuck is wrong with you, lady? I molested your fucking daughter, end quote. The saddest part of the story is that if the offender weren't tired of toying with the guard and his wife, he could easily do it again. All he would have to do is cry and feign regret, and in all likelihood, the doctor and his wife would shortly be advocating for the inmate's release with the parole board. Predators are incredibly, incredibly good and manipulating people around them. 
So if someone can lead a double life for years, and in Jimmy Hinton put this so beautifully in our conversation, if a predator can sit there and live a triple or quadruple life, where he's manipulating his wife, his family, his kids, his pastor, his coworkers, if they can do that for years, why would you believe them instantly the minute they say there's some kind of change when they know that's the one thing they have to do to get back in the position they were in? Half of these you may have been guilty of. Aren't you glad God lets us come back? Half of these are situations that can be turned around if men will humble themselves and everybody act like a Christian and, and somebody makes some hard choices in dealing with them and somebody makes some hard choices in dealing with their self. And I say, when somebody wants to get right, let them bless it get right. You say, should I put a man back in a pulpit? God's the only one that can put you in a pulpit in the first place. God's the only one that can truly put you back in a pulpit in the second place. The whole thing ends on that nebulous note. No practical steps, no ways to know if this is legitimate, no studies, no information, no data, no anything to talk about how to protect yourself from predators or how to deal with these situations. And the reality is vague solutions like that are only going to lead to more problems down the road. And that's the situation that scares me the most about the sermon is he repeatedly says, McNeese says repeatedly, I hope this soaks into these young people. I hope this soaks into these young pastors. I hope this is something that they take to heart. And that terrifies me because that's going to be another generation that's going to be copying this exact same garbage and is going to continue to cover these things up, continue not to name names. And we're going to continue to see these issues happen again and again within the IFB. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode. I know it's a heavy one. I know it's a disturbing message. I know it's disturbing commentary. I know that the thought that this is still happening, no matter how much the alarm gets sounded, is disturbing. But I do appreciate you listening and taking steps within your own families, within your own communities to keep kids safe from people who would hurt them and harm them. And he ironically said it best in his sermon is, if other people are going to be quiet about it and not going to talk about it, that means someone else needs to. And uh, I really appreciate the community around Preacher Boys that is committed to exposing th- these things and having these hard conversations. So thank you so much for listening. I'll see you in the next episode. Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes and don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at Preacher Boys Doc. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.